All right. You know what? I'm excited. Um, I've been really enjoying this time as we've been going through this series of Worthy Pursuit. And uh, we're going to continue on. Week six, if you can believe it. I can't believe it's been six weeks. And uh, if it's a little difficult to hear, you know, Graham, there's a, there's a switch here behind those two big doors there. There's a fan switch. You may want to turn them to low because it's a little, a little awkward hearing. I feel like we're going to take off in here. I feel like there's a helicopter going. Anyway, those of you who are watching online, you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. And that's okay. You probably think I'm a little crazy, but that's fun too. So last week, uh, we were looking at the armor of God and looking at the breastplate of righteousness. And you might have gone home and maybe flexed a little bit in the mirror to see how your breastplate was looking. <laughs> Man, rough crowd, rough crowd. <laughs> we were looking at how the breastplate is like our heart protector, protects us guards us against compromising our character. Were you tested all this week? Was your character tested? Maybe through conversation, whatever it may be. I was deeply encouraged, even myself, you know, I like to watch the service from the previous week and I'm encouraged myself and I'm glad that I can listen to myself and be preached, preached to about not compromising and that's something in the world that is so popular right now, to compromise, compromise, compromise. And we were encouraged as we looked at the scripture because we were told that we we're to grow into Christ in every possible way. We looked at Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. And as you ponder those words just for a few moments, I'm going to actually um, go down another path just for a quick moment. I forgot to mention a few announcements. So in uh, July, if you can go to that first slide there for me, Isaiah, we have the ladies' tea. The ladies' tea is Saturday, July 30th. This is important because you're going to have some awesome tasting tea, I think. Okay, ladies of hope, <laughs> you're having a summer tea party on the 10th. I'm, I have to read this announcement because I don't remember all these details. But from 2 to 4 p.m., you do need RSVP, however. RSVP is important. You, maybe you can sing that song, RSVP, you know. That'd be really nice so they know uh, what to prepare and be ready for your arrival. If you can't make it, I understand there'll be many more events coming down the road, but that is our ladies' tea on Saturday, July 30th. That will be at uh, Mary Pierce's place. Be sure to RSVP to that. Also, we have our church barbecue picnic. Who likes a barbecue? Right? We're having one on Saturday, August 27th. Hopefully that works for your calendar. I know it can be tricky with, you know, summer vacation times and things like that. But if you can make it, we would love to have you. That's happening from 12 to 4 p.m. There's going to be burgers. There's going to be awesome snacks. But you do need to bring something. You need to bring a lawn chair and your own drinks. Okay? A salad or a dessert. You also need to RSVP. Again, you can sing that song to remind you. Please do that by August 14th. That is important because when the RSVPs come in, 
I see those emails and I can help the team make sure we have everything ready for your arrival as well. So we have our ladies tea and our family church barbecue. It's going to be a great time. Hope to see you there. Okay, Isaiah, I did my job. Now we're going to get back to the preaching part, okay? So, <laughs> you know, this is funny when you have announcements and you just totally forget about it. Even though a moment ago I said, I need to do the announcement time first. Jeez, I got to work on this. Okay, back to time of preaching. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can be encouraged. We can be challenged. Holy Spirit, Would you guide us here this afternoon as we look to your word? Mold us, shape us, that we may follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before we go forward on looking at the uh, feet being fitted with peace, last week I mispronounced a word, and I want to clear the air. I want to make sure I say it to you correctly. We were looking at the Greek word for righteousness. It's dikiosune. I don't know what I said. I tried to write it down. I was watching. I'm like, what did I just say? Sometimes that happens when you're, you know, speaking Greek because I don't know about you. We don't talk in Greek to one another, right? So the Greek word is dikiosune, which means uprightness and integrity of character. And I want you to remember that, that dikiosune, as we look at our feet fitted with the gospel of peace because it's really interchangeable it's really connected in first john chapter 1 verse 6 it says this if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness we are lying and we're not practicing the truth if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness we are lying and not practicing the truth In many ways, it's just like when you say you're going to RSVP for one of the barbecue events and you don't RSVP, okay? (laughs) A little bit of humor there. I was looking on social media this week, and I saw this picture. Isaiah, go ahead and throw up this picture. I don't know if you can see that. Here we see Lucifer, the devil, masquerading as an angel of light. He comes to the, the gates of heaven, and he says, you know, he wants to get in. He goes, but I identify as an angel. You see what they say there? Yeah, we don't quite play that game. (laughs) I thought this was really appropriate of what we're looking at here today, what Christ has accomplished. Make no mistake, there can be no substitutes for what Jesus has done. There will people be masquerading a counterfeit gospel, a counterfeit gospel, but when we're fitted with the truth, with the belt of truth, with the breastplate of righteousness, we are then truly carrying the gospel of peace. It says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. So maybe you're here this afternoon as I say these words again, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and truth. You might be thinking, how can I actually live this out? What must be done? We now more than ever need the fullness of God's grace. We're told in John 1 verse 16, it says, We have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. And it says here, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, verse 13, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest. Flex that righteousness. And your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Your feet fitted for the gospel of peace. Today's title is Stand in Christ as Messengers of Grace and Peace. Grace and Peace. One of the things I love about Scripture, when Jesus was talking to his followers, he said, listen, anyone who loves the Father and loves me, we will come and make our home with you. How many of you want Jesus to make his home with you? When you believe he takes up residence within us, he lives, he dwells and moves within our lives, within our thought life. And there's this promise that when he dwells, because he's in us, we can bring a transformational message. A transformational message. It says here in verse 15, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. If I was to ask you to go around the room, Dan, what do you think that means? What would you say? And your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Maybe you're hearing you would say, well, as I go through these key words, I would say that readiness is an important aspect here. To be ready, ready to step out. Last time I checked, when I go out the door, I have to put on my shoes before I get a walking. Footwear is important, isn't it? There are different kinds of shoes for different kinds of purposes and tasks. And with the right footwork, Paul is showing us, with the right footwork, you can be prepared against the schemes of the devil and counteract the schemes of the devil with the true gospel of peace. Now before I get into unpacking what that really looks like, the way that this is helpful for me is one day I was out cutting sod at my house, okay? I don't know what I was thinking, but I began the day on the wrong foot. I had flip-flops on to cut sod out of my yard. There's something wrong with this picture. Have you ever tried to cut anything with a spade with flip-flops on? The shovel doesn't work too well. One point I'm pushing, I'm trying to get the leverage, and ah, I cut my foot. Because you silly, Andrew, you're wearing the wrong pair of shoes. You're not wearing the proper footwear. There's a right shoe for the job. I think ladies in this house, you'd all say, yep, there's a right shoe for every occasion. For going for a dinner party, a high heel maybe. What are some other shoes? Shut one out. Help me out. Let's get interactive here this afternoon. What was that? Whew. We got different kinds of shoes. They're all important, right? 
Sandals, sure, if it's hot like today, I wish I was wearing sandals. I just, I just don't feel quite right wearing sandals up here. I just got to be honest with you. But it would be nice. It would be a little cooler. Sandals. Have you ever tried playing golf in sandals? We have a few avid golfers in the house here. I'm sure that they'd say, well, my score is going to be absolutely horrible because you're not dug in properly for the swing. (laughs) The right shoe for the right job. And I think Paul is showing us here how important it is to be fitted with the right body armor. He says, be fitted for the gospel of peace, with readiness for the gospel of peace. In Paul's day, they were well acquainted with the Roman soldier. They were everywhere. They were under Roman occupation. Make no mistake, they were well accustomed with their entire outfit, from the helmet to the breastplate, everything. And they saw what these soldiers wore. I mean, these weren't just leisure type of sandals. Sometimes we read this and we think, well, sandals, it's like a flip-flop. Don't make any mistakes about it. That's not flip-flops. Could you imagine a Roman soldier going to battle in (laughs) flip-flops? They're going to be stubbing their toe on everything, let alone having to, you know, defend against a pursuing enemy. And so Paul shows us this, this being fitted properly with the footwear so we can be acquitted or prepared, I should say, prepared, poised to handle the attack at hand. You know, I have a pair of Birkenstocks at home, and they look nice. They really do. I never had a really nice pair of sandals before, and I honestly thought people were crazy. I thought it was just a material acquisition, like, yeah, yeah, you got Birkenstocks. But they feel amazing. They help with your foot and proper, you know, forming of your foot and proper whatever the word is. Help me out. What's that word? Uh, Agronomical or something like that. Anyway, so it's good for your shoe. It's good for your foot. But here he's showing us this is a very different type. And what I found interesting in researching these shoes or these sandals is although they were woven tightly with leather, they had these spikes that were like nails sticking through the soles and into the ground. So it makes sense how these soldiers could, you know, go over a great distance at a great speed. This is how they were able to, you know, make incredible um, movements and pushes forward against their enemies. Historians will say that Alexander the Great, his army, they were uh, given the right kind of equipment to defeat their enemy. Apparently, their shoes were part of that process, being well-fitted, well-equipped to hold the line. So look at this again, Ephesians 6.15, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Footwear is important. We've established the footwear is important. There's a shoe for every purpose, a shoe for every season. Paul says, make no mistake, the type of shoe that you're wearing is fitted for the gospel of peace. You're not fitted for an offensive oppressiveness. You're not fitted to go on the onslaught attack to defame a person, but rather to bring peace. Now, sometimes we can misunderstand what peace means. Peace doesn't mean I'm just going to come alongside of you, pat you on the back, and agree with everything that you want to do. That's not what being peaceful means. But it, all, it definitely means to not go out of our way to be hostile with one another. And so we want to look at that very quickly here. Peace in the Greek is connected with reconciliation. Did you know that? 
It's one and the same. Reconciliation is a change in relationship or change in attitude or actions. I actually really deeply appreciate that because at the very beginning in the garden, when Adam and Eve were told not to eat from a certain tree, they went and did so anyway, and hostility entered the scene. Sin entered the scene. And Satan deceived them, lying to them. He asked them, well, what will happen if you eat from this tree? Did he tell you not to? And their answer to him was, well, that we would be destroyed, that we would die. And he says, no, you will not surely die, but you will, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. In verse 4, he says, no, you will not die. In fact, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and it, it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it and also gave some to her husband. The reason why I mention that is right in the beginning of the garden, they began in a peaceful state with God, this no animosity, completely intertwined, working together harmoniously, but then Satan, as he does so well, gets into the mix and causes division. He causes a disruption. And his lies permeate into this place where now they've become hostile to what God has told them to do. We know right in the beginning, God wasn't holding out on them. He provided everything for them. They just had to reach up and pluck and eat. There was no laboring. There was no reaching down and, and, and toiling and plowing fields. It was all there for their enjoyment. And yet, Satan made them think in some way God was holding out on them. And so here we enter, because of the struggle that's having back in the garden, Paul is reminding us that our battle's not against flesh and blood, it's not against your neighbor, it's not against the person to your right or your left, but it's against this enemy, this schemer, this father of lies who wants to distort and pervert your understanding of who God is and the peace he wants you to experience with him. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm doing more of a little preaching time here today. I have a few notes, but more of a preaching session. <laughs> Ephesians 2 chapter 10, one of my favorite verses says that you and I are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, and that we should walk in them. For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do, is what this translation says. It says here, so then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, sorry, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. Ephesians 2 verse 15, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. He did this so he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put hostility to death. So you can see this picture that through Christ, this traction of peace, bringing peace back into our world, has been fulfilled. From the time of the garden until Christ entered in the scene, that sin had worked its way into the world with, every, with it, as I said earlier, every kind of perversion, every kind of immorality, every kind of sexual immorality, and the whole nine yards. But here, Paul is reminding us that through Christ... In Ephesians 2, that God had a plan. He had a plan to bring peace back into our life. But the way for us to experience this peace, this spoken hit me like a spear, a good spear right to the heart, is that in order to experience peace, we have to jettison our desire and our will to be the God of our own lives. Because that's the mistake that Adam and Eve both made in the garden that they would worship their own created order, what they deemed and saw fit as good and evil. And so to bring peace, God wrote his law. He expressed to his people, I will be your God and you will be my people. And you must separate yourselves from the things and ways of the world. And I put these laws in place so that you will honor me by my name, by following these laws and these commands. But as we go through the word of God, we see that they were unable to keep these laws, these regulations. It doesn't mean they were bad. Sometimes there's teachings out there that says, well, God never really intended them to live by these laws. In fact, it was a misrepresentation of the word. God never really put that in place. It was authors inspired by the devil writing and I don't even understand where that all comes from, but Paul very clearly says there was a plan in place. We were like foreigners without hope in the world, without peace, but through Christ, we've now been made part of the family. We've been made part of the family. Imagine at this time you're in Ephesus and you're not a Jew. Jews had this special relationship with God. They were the chosen people. They had this proximity, if you will, this closeness that the Gentiles did not or could not relate with on a personal level. They were on the outside looking in, and many of them could become proselytes, and they could come and be part of the festivities. They could come into the temple and see the worship and, and take part in these prayers, but they were never really part of the family. Have you ever been part like you're on the outside looking in? Like you don't really belong? Like, yeah, you're there, but you're not really part of the group? Not really part of the family? This is what it was like for all Gentiles who were not Jews. And there was this covenant promise of salvation. What happened in the garden? My people, the Jewish people, God says to them, right, that he will save them. He will deliver them. But Gentiles, you're out of luck. 
Look what he says here in Ephesians 2. He says in chapter 3, verse 25, God presented him, speaking of Jesus, as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed and God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. So where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by a law of faith. You know, as I was going over this and asking the Holy Spirit what to share this afternoon on this aspect of being fitted with the gospel of peace or fitted to be messengers for the gospel of peace, what would encourage the body here today? That there was nothing within ourselves that we could do. There is no way we could make the course correction ourselves. There's no way we could come back into a harmonious alignment from the estrangement that occurred in the Garden of Eden. But here we see that Christ became the sacrifice. He took the consequence of our own hostility upon himself. Just for a moment, just imagine if you had to go to the cross. How horrific that would have been. And yet we're told in 1 John 2, 2, he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also those of the whole world. This is the piece that encourages me this afternoon is that when we look at being fitted for the gospel of peace, it says in 6.15 that your feet sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. You and I can say to those who aren't part of the family of God, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what missteps you have taken, the sin that has entered your life, you can experience both forgiveness and peace with God. Peace with God. Paul is using a word here that is alluding, connected with Isaiah 52, verse 7. He says this, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the heralds who proclaim peace, who bring news of good things, who proclaim salvation, who says in Zion, your God reigns. Have you ever thought of yourself as a herald? a messenger who proclaims this peace. We were looking at last week that it's one thing to live righteously and put on the belt of truth and speak and expose darkness, which we must do. But it's another thing that when someone is repentant of the lifestyle and all those different aspects in their life, that we welcome them in because that's the peace that we have experienced for ourselves. This reconciliation, Christ taking upon himself our hostility. Have you ever been in a place where you did something and you acted out against someone and someone took your place? Where you were outed and you're just about to get in trouble, right? You're about to take your licks and someone steps in and is like, no, that was me. (laughs) That's the picture of what Christ did for us. He stepped in to do what he didn't have to do. 
but rather it was a place that we should have been at. And for me, this is where the gospel for all of us should hit home is how he took our place. He, he paid the price for our hostility, the price for our sin. It says in Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. He says here, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and express and regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. Verse 16, he did this so he might reconcile both to God and one body through the cross by which he put hostility to death. Verse 17, he came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. And what I appreciate about this part of scripture, it shows us it's no longer this us and them mentality, but us. It's now an us mentality. We both have been brought in to that family. And yet you look around, and I'm speaking, you know, to myself as our leadership and such looks at affiliation potentials and, and all those kind of things, and, and yet God never destined us to be part of denominations. It's meant to be an us thing, not an us and them. And yet, the reason why we have different groupings is because some, and this is where it all depends on who you talk to, would say, well, we're living according to the full gospel. And some would say, no, you know, we're actually living according to the full gospel. And so at the end of the day, what I appreciate about this, of where we can experience peace with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, is based on the foundation of what Christ has done for all of us. That he's made this appeal on our behalf. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says this, Therefore, we're all ambassadors for Christ, since God is making appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled, to God. Be reconciled with God. So you put on your shoes. You put on your, your feet, sandaled with readiness to carry that message, sharing your testimony. This is what Jesus has done for me. That sin that I sinned, he has paid the price. I will no longer face judgment, but I have passed from death to life. I'm a new man. I've been set free from that which raged and, and, and tyranny over my life. And yet, we're meant to share this message. You may have seen throughout, you know, social media, where, especially in these days, and I love to see it, where people are encouraging one another to step out, to share your faith, to share your faith. It's not enough to, and I'm speaking to myself, it's not enough to live it within the confines of this place. It's not enough. Now, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's a, a works mentality for us to be in a better position with God because we all have fallen short, but we're all saved by grace through faith. We're all equal in the eyes of God, and yet we're meant to live out our faith in the marketplace, fitted with readiness to carry that gospel of peace. Look what he says here in verse 18. For through him, 
We both have access in one spirit to the Father. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Here again, the Jews and the Gentiles are equal before God. They now have equal access to their Father. You ever felt like when you turn on the radio or you turn on the TV, you, you watch your favorite, you know, or listen to your favorite podcast of your keynote speaker and you think, wow, they're really close to God. You know, there's a, a person I like listening to from time to time is Dr. Jeremiah, Andrew Womack. And you could say, well, they're really close to God. I mean, they really get it. And, you know, they pray, they put their time in, but they don't have a greater access to Jesus than you do. And I believe part of the enemy is to make you think that you somehow don't have that access. That there's a, there's a barricade and that you've created this barricade. But if we could jettison that from our mind to realize this promise of scripture says right here, because of all that Christ has done, it's not a saved by works mentality, but we're saved by grace. He's broken down this dividing wall of hostility that we're now all equal in the eyes of God and that we have the same equal access. Imagine what we can do. Imagine that lifestyle issue that you're facing. If you just call upon the Lord, for he alone is mighty to save. He can do it because you have the same access. He's helped me with my thought life. He's helped me with the way that I interact with people as a minister of the gospel. Because we need that access. When you're rubbing shoulders with people, especially that live very contrary to what you hold dear or believe, you need that access. You need to be dialed in so you don't blow off the top like a missile. <laughs> what are you talking about, right? Let's go back to verse 15 just for a moment. It says here, He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. What I appreciate about this is that God's word is true. What he set in place for people to walk after him, to honor him with their life, was holy and righteous. It represented the character of who God was. And so Jesus had to accomplish what he accomplished. Now some might say, you know, Graham, he didn't have to. You know, he really didn't have to meet the requirements of this written law. But he did. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17. This is important before we get to the final application piece. Jesus says this, Do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but fulfill. So what does that mean? That means he came to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law because the law represented who God is. If Christ is the fullness of who God is and Jesus existed before time began, the very present place of when the garden was created, because the word says in him is light and, and nothing was created without him, well, he was present. He was also present when the Holy Spirit hovered over the writers and the authors of the word of God and as they wrote as inspired by the Holy Spirit. Jesus wasn't taking a coffee break while they were writing these, these rules, if you will of how to honor God. He wasn't kicking back. 
and then steps in all of a sudden being like, whoa, whoa, Michael, uh, you know, Archangel Michael, what'd you say? Or you understand what I'm saying. He wasn't taking a coffee break. And I believe that's why he said in Matthew 5, 17, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. And so now we can say, as we're carrying this gospel of peace, Christ accomplished this because he had to. We can explain how it happened, this hostility, where it began, but now we can also explain where that takes us home today. That now in this home that we have with Christ, we, it's created this inroad. It's changing our thought life. It's changing our relationships. So maybe you're here today and maybe you would say, okay, this is great. It says to put on the full armor of God, to stand against the schemes of the enemy to put on the sandals, fit it with readiness for the gospel of peace. What are some things I can do practically as I put on those sandals? Paul here is showing us the first thing is just to be ready. Be ready when those conversations happen. It's interesting when you pray, Lord, would you use me? Would you enable me to be your messenger? He sends people into your life for you to be that courier of the gospel of peace, the grace that you've received. I'm a living testament of it. Everything this past few weeks that I've been preaching, it's been speaking to me because it's like there's this, you know, hidden camera that's out there because the enemy's involved and he's trying to knock you down. And I'm having to practice what I preach. Am I willing to compromise just to get along, if you understand what I'm saying? There's some practical things we can do. We, we don't just live here in these church walls. We live it out in the marketplace. Think about your workplace for a moment. Now, I understand there's rules, there's bylaws, there's policies. I understand all of that. But God's made us to be creative. God is unbelievably creative. Look, look what he's created. He created you and I in the universe. Surely by the Holy Spirit, he can enable you to be creative, to bring the gospel of peace in ways that you know that you can bring into your workplace. One of the things I say to myself is when I pray, you know, Heavenly Father, would you move upon the person that you have me in contact with for them to ask the question? Would you soften that heart that has been hardened by the enemy? Would you soften the heart for them to ask that question? Because then they're opening the door. They're, they're giving you permission to speak into their life. As I look back at the back of the room, um, there's a gentleman here. We both worked for the same ministry at one point in time. Um, it was called Absolute Leadership. And then when I joined the team, it was called Live Different. And when you're in the high schools, because of policies, procedures, you couldn't speak about faith. But they knew there was something different as you're sharing your story. And at the end of the time, when they'd come up and ask questions, if they said to you, you know, well, tell me more about your life story. Wow, it's amazing what, what you went through and how you came through on the other side. When they ask that question, then you can be truthful. Now, I understand Nick was sharing with me at the time when he was with this group, they would go to churches and youth groups and they would come to these uh, ministry times, right, Nick? And you could then share your testimony. But when I was with the team, we weren't going into churches anymore. We were just at the school. We would then pack up and leave. And so I made a decision. And I never got in trouble. 
But I made a decision. It's okay. It's like 12 years removed. Um, but I made a decision that if a student comes to me and asks me point blank to share more of my story, I ministered to them right then and there. And you know what? Not one time did they ever go to one of their teachers or principal to say, you wouldn't believe what that speaker said to me. Because it was different. It's something they had never heard before. I was able to share my faith. It was very different from all the keynotes, all the motivational speeches they had heard up until that point. So just think, you and I are uniquely suited with the gospel of peace. How God has come through in your life. How he's forgiven you. How he's moving and acting in your life. I'd encourage you today, would you put those shoes on? We put on the belt of truth. We, you know, we wake up in the morning, we have our breakfast. We might read the word, thank you, Lord, for your truth. And we eat that piece of bacon. All oh, this is so good. We put on the breastplate. Man, I'm protected. My heartstrings are protected. Thank you, Lord, you lead me to not compromise. But what is it that you do when you leave the front door? When you step into your work vehicle and you're driving down the road and you go to your place of work, what's the next step? You've protected your, yourself. You're in defensive mode, if you will, against the schemes of the enemy. But you need to carry that gospel of peace with you to speak the truth, to speak the truth. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Today's one of those Sundays, and I'm just going to be um, you know, honest with you. You know, When you prepare, when you write things down, there's times when you kind of feel like you're, you're in the mode, you're in the zone, and it's like, it's just flowing. Today I was like, Lord, you're, you're, by your Holy Spirit, you're going to have to bring all this together. I'm just going to be obedient to share a few things that were on my heart. But end of the day, as the team leads us, think about these words in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17. And he came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. We're all equal in the eyes of God. We've all been brought into his family by faith in Jesus. It's no longer them and us, but now it's just us. Would we encourage each other to walk in faithfulness, to walk in truth, to encourage one another to put on the full armor of God as we carry that truth? It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to succumb when we're experiencing shell shock. You ever watch a documentary and we look at soldiers, they dig out foxholes to protect themselves against the bombardment of the enemy. And when you know, even with all the training, there's times when they're, they're just so overwhelmed by the shock and awe of these bombs that they get trapped in the foxhole. But it isn't until they allow courage to muster, muster the courage to get up out of that foxhole and face off against the enemy. That's where I want to park that here this afternoon as we go to time of worship, is we have these foxholes, but we've also been fitted with the armor. And as you leap out of that foxhole, God is going to put people into your place, in your path. He's going to put people's names on your mind. He's going to stir your heart to share that gospel of peace. Don't become shell-shocked. 
but trust that it says here right at the beginning with the armor of God, it says that we can do all of this by his vast strength. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. You're well suited. You've been given every resource that you need. So just for a few moments as we pray, as the worship team leads us, just imagine yourself clothed with the full armor of God, with the belt of truth, who is Jesus. He's the light of the world. And he is the fullness and full representation of the character of God. signified by that breastplate that you put in place. Fit it and firmly firmly secure. And now you have your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. Jesus is calling you to be a messenger of that peace. A messenger of the truth that all of us are brought into the family of God through faith in Jesus. Father, I thank you for each person here this afternoon. I thank you, Lord, that your love covers over a multitude of sins, that your mercy triumphs over judgment. We were on a course for judgment, but by your son, Jesus, through that propitiation that we have been forgiven, we have been set free from the sin that has entangled us, that was leading to a certain death, but now we are alive and well through faith in you. And so we can put to bed the salvation question, the salvation issue, and now we can live alive for you in character. We can live alive for you and exposing the deeds of darkness by the way we think, the way we move, and the way we act in our community. Enable us, Lord God, in our workplaces. Enable us in our family units. Enable us everywhere that we go to carry your truth of peace. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And as the worship team plays, I'm just going to allow this to be our official time of closing. But I want to encourage you not to rush off. But if you need to go, God bless you. But in these moments, take this time just to, to worship, to soak in what you have heard shared, what you've heard preached this afternoon. And ask the Holy Spirit that that which you would have remained and be deposited in your spirit would be deposited and that which is not from him for it to be jettisoned. In Jesus' name. Worship team.